Good morning. You guys could uh, turn into your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, or you can check it out on the screens also. All right, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenazes, the, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men were in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted, in all wisdom, possessed knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azazar, Abednego. But Daniel, but Daniel pur- purposed his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your face looking worse than the young men who are not your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azazar, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearances be examined before you, and the appearance of the young man who ate the portions of the king's delicacy as you see fit. So deal with your servant. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine that they drank and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understood in all vision and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azazar. Therefore they served before the king. 
And in all manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the day of King Cyrus. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us today, Lord God. We just pray that uh, you open our minds and our hearts and our, and our eyes, Lord God, as uh, Jackie comes and uh, teaches us your word, Lord God. I pray that we, we take something out of this, Lord God, and, and take it out into the world, Lord God. I just pray that uh, you give our minds alertness, Lord, so that we can focus on your word right now, Lord God, and just... Uh, just be with us as uh, we go out through the week, Lord, and keep it uh, in our hearts. Lord, I just want to lift up lift up all those that are sick, Lord, and uh, dealing with injuries. Lord, I just pray that you give them peace, Lord, and uh, just help us all uh, heal from the, the sickness that's going around, Lord God. And then just, uh, just thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Okay, the good news is today we're actually going to start in Daniel. <clears throat> if I can get this cough drop open. So, as we take a look, I just want to invite you to hold your place, Daniel 1. We're going to get right back there. But I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to consider some of the things that, that uh, it just seems to me so interesting that God would lead us to this book at this time uh, with all the stuff that's going on. We, we have lost a Supreme Court justice, uh, one of the only justices that was a believer, um, who uh, traditionally um, voted on the side of life. And um, so it'll be interesting in the next few days to see what happens. Because if uh, it's possible that uh, President Obama will appoint another. And you could probably imagine what he'll be like. So... I just think that's interesting that that's going on, that our world, that our society is doing, if we look at the parallel between what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 1 and what's happening in our society today, we can absolutely see it. Listen, this is how Nebuchadnezzar did it. He conquered a people, he brought the, the young kids in, he took them away from their homes, whatever rules, whatever systems they had, however they were raised, and he gave them a certain amount of freedom. He said, I'm going to teach you the way it really is. He changed the way they thought. He changed their customs, he changed their names, and pretty soon they were melted into the society of Babylon, so that when it was all over, they were Babylonians. And one of the interesting things as we study the Word of God is we come to realize that God's Word lays out for us, really, the whole Bible is a story of two cities. The story of Babylon, which is Shinar, where the Tower of Babel was in the book of Genesis, where rebellion against God broke out. So Babylon, in fact, when we, when we study the book of Revelation on Wednesday night, you're going to see the same thing. Tale of two cities, the city of Babylon, which is in what? Rebellion against God. And the city of Jerusalem, which is what? The city of God. Everybody falls in one of two camps. There's no middle ground. There's no place to stand outside of that place where we make that choice. And everything in the world around Daniel, uh, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, everything around them, was there to change the, their mind, to change their conduct, to change their customs, to, uh, to absorb them into uh, 
status quo. What everybody else is, is all about. If that's not a perfect picture of the U.S., I don't know what it is. Because really, that's, that's how things work, how things run. And sometimes I think we do a great disservice to our kids. And, and preachers do a great disservice uh, uh, to their congregations because we don't, we don't sit, stand up and just preach the truth. And don't be afraid of stuff. There's nothing that you can hear or learn about that there's not an answer to. But we want to run away from it and pretend like they're not there. No, there's questions out there. Don't be afraid of them. Instead, go to them. Gravitate to the questions. Answer them. There are answers. And we see in the pages of Scripture this incredible example wrought to us from a 14-year-old named Daniel. Isn't that crazy? Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. I always want to change the order. But anyways, they, they're, they're probably 14 years old. But in, in Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> beginning at verse 8, we're just going to think about the beginning of it all. Okay, just follow with me. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. Does a tent have foundations? No, what is it, what is it particular about a tent? What's it always doing? Moving, right? Moving. He lived a life constantly moving, looking forward to a life in a city where there was no more moving. Where it would be stable. And what was special about this city? Its designer and builder is God. It says, by faith, Sarah uh, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Who was him she considered faithful? God. She said, God, if God's willing, if, if this is what God's plan is, then that's what's going to happen. She was okay with God's plan and purpose. And if God said it, she believed it, that it was going to happen. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. So how old was Abraham? About a hundred, right? That's old for having children. By the way, my brother had a child at 40. I almost started weeping on the phone when he told me. But I had this sense that he was happy about it. So I held my weeping until after I got off the phone. And I went to Kathy and I said, that can never happen to us, right? (laughs) (laughs) However, he had one at a hundred as good as dead and were born to him descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand of the seashore. Who are all the children of Abraham? Everyone who has faith. So the Bible says every child of faith is a child of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham believed God when God told him to go. He didn't know where he was going, but he believed God and he went. Every day of our life, we get to make a choice how you're going to live that day, by fear or faith. You're going to do one of the two. But if you're going to live that day by faith, then it's going to be a faith in him who has promised that he is faithful. That he is faithful. And that's exactly what was going on with Abraham. At verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They never got their city. 
They never got that. They lived in tents all their life. It was many generations down the line that would experience the city. But they saw them and they greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Where is your citizenship? That's what this section of Hebrews is all about. The day that God called Abraham, Abraham decided his citizenship was with God. I serve a king. One of the great charges against Christians in the Roman Empire was that they served a different king than Caesar. Who was the king that they served? Jesus Christ, their Lord. We make a decision that we follow Christ. That decision outweighs everything else. Everything else. I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution when I went into the Marine Corps. And I was faithful to that oath. To fulfill that oath as I served. And I don't see any reason to be unfaithful to that oath. Now that I'm a former Marine. But I am, I need to be more loyal, committed, whatever your word is. To my King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's Jesus Christ. I follow him first. And if my country says this is okay. But my Lord says it's not. Then guess what? It ain't okay. And that's where I'm going to stand. I'm going to pick a side. I'm looking for a city. And I love living in Buell. But that's not it. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Whose king, lord and savior is God. That is unmovable. Established in him. So that it has perfect justice. And grace and mercy and love existing in it. We don't have that yet, do we? But God's word calls us to this. Occupy until I come. Do business till I come. Live your life that way till I come. And that's what made Abraham a father of faith in Hebrews 11. Because he said, you said it, God. I'm believing it. That's how I'm going to live. You said it, that's how I'm going to live. The scripture goes on to tell us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 18. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Man, that's harsh. What would you rather, God just tell you the truth or he beat around the bush with you? I don't know. I kind of like the truth. I have a hard time. I don't get the around the bush. I don't get the, what do they call that stuff? Yeah, I don't read between the lines at all. I'm stupid. I'm sorry. I have to tell my wife this all the time. She said, honey, I said, babe, I swear those words never came out of your mouth. Well, it's what I meant. Uh, I have a hard time with that's what I meant. And it's... My shortcoming is okay, but I, I like to hear it straight. So what is it that God says straight? That I cannot love the world and love God. 
That doesn't mean that there aren't good things in the world that we love and enjoy. But those are two opposing systems. Don't you see that? The system of the world is in opposition to the system of God. The system of the world is the system of Babylon. It's in rebellion against God. And I got to pick a side. I got to pick a side. So we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is this. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. The desires that lead us into walking in and relishing in sin. That's the system of the world he's talking about. He's not saying that you can't stand out on top of a mountain peak and look over a valley as the sun comes up and as the inversion layer begins to lift and see elk and deer and things walking across and thinking, man, this is incredible. I love this here. Isn't that how God created it? He's talking about the system in rebellion against him. But you can't love the world and love God. James 4.4 tells us that if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. You pick it. Right? We all get to pick our lines. Agreed? We get to pick our lines. And so, as we begin in Daniel, that's what's important that we see. we got to choose a side. we got to choose a side. And we begin in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, this incredible concept. God gave Judah to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar didn't win it. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get it because he was better, stronger, more powerful. God said, uh, yeah, these guys, they're done. So Nebuchadnezzar, come on in. Verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And what's it say next? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who gave? The Lord. Adonai. It's a word meaning the sovereign. So he's saying the sovereign God gave Jehoiakim and the kingdom into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now, just hold that because so often when we read the Bible, we separate some of the, what that means. You know, it just becomes word on a page and we, we forget to, to think. We forget to love the Lord our God with all our mind, to put ourselves in to what's going on. But let's read the rest here as he goes on in verse 2. Also some of the articles of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of what? His God. His God. Daniel, everywhere Daniel uses the word God, <coughs> it doesn't translate in English, but everywhere he uses the word God, there's a definite article. So everywhere Daniel says God, he's saying, The God... And everywhere he's talking about the false gods, he'll use his. So he's, he's contrasting the God with his God. Articles from the God went to the house of his God in Shinar, which was what? The place known for rebellion against God. So what happened? God's people, who had committed themselves to a life of rebellion against God, God said, look, you're not living in my city anymore. 
Because this city here, this is the city of God. So he said, I'm the, I'm the owner. I am uh, uh, putting you out. You got your eviction notice. And the eviction came. Nebuchadnezzar came down, put the people under his thumb, charged them taxes, and took the brightest and the best with him. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had to hurry up and go home to Shinar because his dad died. He's going to come back and stay a little longer in the next rebellion, but we probably won't spend too much time talking about that as we work our way through Daniel. It's interesting because as we look at it, for a long time, um, as I shared with you, we deal with some of the questions. For a long time, people said, oh, Daniel, this is bogus. This guy knows too much stuff. It's written in Aramaic and Hebrew and Persian and Greek. And so <laughs> it probably wasn't written until the first century B.C. And it just pretends to be written in the sixth century B.C. Well, remember I told you there's answers for all that stuff? You know, everybody who stands in a classroom and makes an assertion is not necessarily telling you the truth. You haven't learned that yet. You will. You will. So what's the truth? All the grammar and syntax of Daniel follows the 7th century. They had Aramaic in the 7th century, but they decided that the Aramaic must be the same Aramaic from the 1st century B.C. There's only one problem. The grammar's flipped. The grammar's flipped. The grammar in Daniel follows 7th century rules. They can set Daniel next to 7th century writings, and they say, look, his grammar's just like that. And he sits it next to 1st century B.C., and what's it? Oh, nope, that, it doesn't follow the same rules. Rules change, right? How many of you guys know rules change? How many when you went to school, English was one way, they used different words, and now kids are learning different ways to do it? No? I think... I. I tell my kids when they were going to school, thank God they're out of school. When they're going to school and they come to me and say, Dad, help. I say, look, I barely got through that myself. <coughs> you're on your own. Man, you got to listen. Listen while you're in school. But in 1956, they found a tablet. And the tablet that they found was written on in uh, Akkadian, Babylonian, cuneiform writing. 1956, it said, in the year 605, Nebuchadnezzar conquered all the lands of the Hatti, the lands of the Hittites. Guess what's right smack dab in the middle of that? Oh, yeah, Judah. Israel. So they, what happens is, they make all these assertions, and then somebody digs in their backyard and finds a big rock, and on the big rock it says, no, really, Nebuchadnezzar was there, and this is exactly how it happened. Oh, can't erase it because it's written in stone. It's hard to erase stone. So you can go to the Museum of Natural History in, uh, in Britain and you can go look at it. And if you study, you can read cuneiform. You can even read it. So it proves, it lays it all out for us. But look at Daniel 1 verse 3. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel... And some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies. That means they got good grub, okay? They, they, you, you get that, right? When's the last time you ate what the king eats? 
When's the last time they said, no, before President Obama gets this, you guys get a plate first? You think he's got peanut butter and jelly? You think he's having cup of noodles? Top ramen? I don't know. I'm betting he's eating good. What do you think? I'm betting he's eating good. So they're getting the delicacies of the king. They're getting food straight from the king's table. Uh, drinking the king's wine. Uh, and three years of training for them. So at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among the sons of Judah, were taken Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. To Azariah, Abednego. So we have the instructions to Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz <coughs> is the chief of the eunuchs. He's in charge of all the captives. Now, I don't want you to, I want you to keep your mind on what's going on here. The Lord gave him into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. But before that, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt. So he's got young men from Egypt too, right? And everywhere that was between Egypt and Judah, along the way, I'm sure they stopped and picked up fellas. They put them under the thumb. You're going to have to pay us taxes. You're now part of the Babylonian Empire. Is that okay with you? Because if it's not, I'm going to cut loose this army and we'll just mix it up. And they'd say, okay. So he'd go and pick some young men from there and pick some young men from the next place. What happens when they pick these young men? They take them out of their house. You really think they knock on a door and they ask for volunteers who would like to go? No, what they do? They took the best. Who was the best? The nobility and the sons of the king. It's interesting <coughs> because we read in Isaiah 39.7, King Hezekiah, we talked about him last week, King Hezekiah, he took these delegates from Babylon and he showed them all the wealth he had. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, what are you doing? And Hezekiah said, I'm just showing them all our stuff, man. We got some cool stuff. I want them to see it. So he said, so this is what Isaiah said. And they shall come and take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. hundred years before it happened. Now what happens? Here's Nebuchadnezzar. He comes up. They go to a house. They kick the door open. They said, hey, we heard Daniel, one of the sons of David. He's in the lineage of the king. Nobility. And they push mom and dad away. And they say, where's Daniel at? Right there. Okay, take him. They take him and let's go. And they went house by house and picked the guys they wanted. Young men, according to the, the Persian way of teaching and helping people to grow... When they, whenever the, they speak of young men, they're talking about 14-year-olds. The Persians would take them. The Babylonians, that's when they would really focus on their schooling. So we're talking about guys, that early teenagers, scooped up, taken from home, and put into to chains, ultimately, and taken to Babylon. No short journey. Seven to nine hundred miles, depending on which way they go. They didn't have a train, or planes, or automobiles. So how did they go to seven or nine hundred miles? They walked it. Well, I'm sure they gave all those guys horses, right? Well, probably not, right? No, probably not. They probably just had them chained up behind a horse, jogging behind a horse for nine hundred miles. Don't lose sight of what it means when it says God gave them. It was, it was not easy. That life was hard. And I'm sure... There's a lot of people bitter 
Right? But whenever hard things happen in our life, we have two choices. What are they? We can choose to allow God to make us better, or we can choose to be bitter against God. One of them will lead us in a direction that brings growth and stability. The other will lead us into a direction that isolates us from fellowship, isolates us from the body, so that the devil can pick us off. That's what God does. That's, that's what happens. So we, we got to see. The struggle comes. i got to ask myself, which side of this do I want to land on? Now, I don't like it. I don't like having to chase this, this guy on his horse who tells me to go faster. I'm tired. <coughs> but hey, one of the things that marked Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah is the fact that they set aside in their hearts the desire to, to follow God first. So what were the prerequisites? What was Ashpenaz looking for? First thing, young men, 14-year-olds. Second thing, they had to be healthy or no physical defects. No six-fingered guys, no armless people. Um, you know, I don't know what they considered a physical defect back then. But if you had a physical defect, you were considered ugly. So they were looking for people who were good-looking, right? The eyes were where they were supposed to be, all that. <clears throat> so they had no physical defect. Good-looking. What else? They were gifted in wisdom. What's that mean, gifted in wisdom? They had an aptitude for learning. They had an aptitude for learning. They, they wanted to grow in their understanding. They were possessing knowledge. That means they were intelligent. They weren't lame. They weren't dumb. They were gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand. What's that mean? They're able to learn. They're able to learn. And then they had the power to stand before the king. That was the big one. What were they being trained to do? Stand before the king. They had to stand before the king. When's the last time you stood before a king? Think about it. You're going to be nervous? Ask Shannon. She just made announcements up here. If she'd ready to dig my eyes out with a spoon over that. <laughs> but when we, what, what's it like if we stand before the king? What if we, what if we have an audience with the president? What if we, what if we're meeting a congressman? Whatever is there. Are we able to stand before men of authority and still be considered wise, intelligent, able to learn, gifted? So they're looking for guys who, who had the confidence necessary to be able to, to stand up and serve before the king. And then they had a plan, right? They had a plan. And the plan that they had to conform the minds of these young men dealed with specifically three areas. They're going to they're change their mind, they're going to change their customs, and they're going to change their convictions. How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to teach them in all the ways of the Chaldeans, right? Up until this time, what did they learn? They'd been learning, look, school in Israel is still the same way. You start studying the scripture. You start learning Hebrew. You start memorizing the, the, the Tanakh, you start memorizing the Torah. You start working your way through the Old Testament scriptures, learning them, memorizing, because what they, it helps them become more mentally astute. And they stay focused in the things and the teachings and the ways of God. Now, the people weren't doing that. Their, their nation wasn't doing that. And, and we're not for sure exactly what the, the life of Daniel Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael was like. 
But we know the Babylonians were going to change all that. They're going to give them new books, new studies, new things to learn. Now, were they going to learn them? Yeah, I got news for you. Daniel and all those guys learned all that stuff. And, and it messed them up forever. Uh, nope. Turned out they were ten times wiser than anybody else. So, do we got to be afraid of all those things? Do we got to be afraid of English and science and mathematics? I don't think we got to be afraid of any of it. We just have to go into it with this knowledge. This knowledge. Neutrality is a myth. What do you mean? There's no such thing as neutral. English is not neutral. Math is not neutral. Science is not neutral. Nothing is neutral. What do you mean, Jackie? Well, Jesus said this. You are either for me or against me. Can I do math for the glory of God? Sure can. Can I do science for the glory of God? Absolutely. What about English? For sure. Are those things bad in and of themselves? No. But the idea that I can come to those with some sort of neutrality where that's separate from God. English doesn't have anything to do with God. What are you talking about? He wrote the Bible. And we're blessed to have it in English. Oh, so we can read it in English so we can understand it. And the same tools that we learn about reading any literature should be applied to the Bible, no? Absolutely. You spend any time in seminary or Bible college, you'll find out. So we apply these same things. There's no neutrality. What was the goal of the Babylonians? We're going to change the way they think. What's the goal of the world? Change the way they think. It's simple. You go all over YouTube and you can pull up videos all over the place and all they do, if I say it loud enough and enough times, more people will believe me. And I can just shout louder and I can just make radical assertions and people will say, you know, I went to a website and this is what it said. It said the Bible is bogus. We have no idea where the Bible came from and it wasn't even until the 4th century. Really? And because the dude's on the internet, you figure that's good? I don't know if that's so good. Because in his little story, you know, he doesn't talk at all about the fact that in the early, in the second century, we had whole codexes of completed Bibles that you still have today, that you can look at, that have all the books of Paul and all the Gospels, not extra Gospels. You know what Gospels they had back then? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Oh, look at you guys are so quick. All those already in the book, already in the codex. Just because I shout and say, it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea that a Bible really came to be, does not make that true. Do you get that? But if we're not loving the Lord our God with all our mind, we're allowing the world to change our mind, and we're not wanting to go find out what is truth. We don't want to go look for the answers. We start to get afraid, back up, think we don't have, we can't have confidence in our faith. You can have confidence in your faith. But you got to want to know. You got to want to know. So they want to change their mind, how they think. <laughs> then they want to change their, <coughs> oh, let's do this. I'm going to skip it, but I'm not going to skip it. I got time. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. It's important when we consider the, the work of the world in trying to change our mind, change the way we think. 
I'm not telling you, be, I'm saying take a look at, at the, at the uh, assertions and then dig out the truth. Don't be afraid of them. Take a look at them. Find out what's the truth. Colossians 2, verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. What's that mean? I've bowed my knee to Christ. I've received Him as my Lord and Savior. I've proclaimed with my lips, right? Confessed with my mouth that He is Lord. Then that's how I ought to walk. In Christ. Not in something else. As you have received Him, so also walk in Him. In the same way that you have received Him, walk in Him. Rooted and built up. In who? In Christ. Right? Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith as you have been taught. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. What's that mean? It means i got to be willing to become a student of the Word. There are no shortcut, shortcut to understanding and knowledge. There are no shortcut to knowing answers. There's no shortcut to that. I wish there was. I would have showed up. I've been so happy. Sit down in Greek class and just have them give me the shortcut. Give me the pill. And I'll just swallow the pill. And then I'll remember how to conjugate verbs in Greek. But I still need it. I still can't remember none of that stuff. I still got to go back to books. There's no shortcuts. You want to know. You want to guard your mind. And you got to be a student who says, I want to know. I gotta, I gotta devour the truth. I gotta read. I gotta spend time in it. How do you learn how to be anything? How do you learn how to be a good farmer? How do you learn how to be a good welder? How do you learn how to be a good disciple of Christ? It's all the same. I don't become a good welder by spending all my time sitting at home watching Criminal Minds. I watch all 10 episodes, or all 10, is there 10 seasons? All 10 seasons of Criminal Minds, 492 shows, and I'll be a better welder, right? Oh, that won't work? Well, neither will it work for me being a better disciple of Jesus Christ. We have to guard our minds. What is it that Colossians goes on to say? Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. How do they want to cheat you? Through the love of Sophia, the love of wisdom. I love philosophy. By the way, my favorite subject. Love philosophy. Anytime you want to talk philosophy, we'll sit down and, and have a good time. I love philosophy. But, but my philosophy is not a, the philosophy according to the world. My philosophy is the philosophy according to Christ. You've got to pick your side. What side are you on? I, don't have, I didn't have to sacrifice. Man, I have, I have read books and studied things. I read a page. And then I put it down and I said, I don't think that was in English. And I go back and I read it again and I put it down. And I go, I'm still not sure that was English. And about the tenth time I say, yep, it's English. I don't have to sacrifice my mind and, and become dumb to receive the things of God. It's quite the other way around. I have to be willing to engage my mind in order to grow and learn and protect my mind. They also want to change their customs. How do they do that? Change their names. What did Daniel mean? God is my judge. What did they change his name to? Belteshazzar. What's Belteshazzar mean? May Bel protect. So he takes the name of Yahweh or Yehovah and he says, we don't want to have you focused on, 
on Yahweh is your judge or watches over you, we're going to say Bel is the one who does it. Bel was one of the chief gods of the Babylonians. Well, what about Hananiah? Hananiah's name means the Lord is gracious. So would they change his name? Shadrach, which means illuminated by rock, the sun god. So no, no, God's not gracious to you. It's the sun god. He's the one who gives light in your life. What about uh, <clears throat> Mishael? Mishael means who is what God is. There's nobody like God. So would they change his name? Meshach, which means what? Who is like Aku? There's nobody like Aku. Who is Aku? He was the moon god. So one guy's illuminated by the sun god. The other guy, he's, he's, his name now means that Aku is his, his chief uh, uh, lord that he serves. And Azariah, what's that mean? The Lord is my help. They changed his name to servant of Nebo. Abednego, servant of Nebo. Trying to change. That's not God no more. These are gods. That's not really how you want to worship. This is how you want to worship. That's really not where you want to focus your life. You want to focus your life in all these other ways. And they change their convictions. How they do that? Change the way they eat. Change their rules. What rules do they have? 14 year old taken out of his home, put in a palace. What rules do you think they had there? I'm sure they had something. But I bet it was nothing like what they grew up. Was it? How many of you guys got rules for your kids at home? Nobody? Uh, all of a sudden, I'm starting to understand why things... <coughs> okay, so, we all have rules, right, in our, in our homes, but they had none. They had none. The rules are changed, so the convictions are different. But look at Daniel 1, verse 8. This is where it all begins to change. We see the convictions of Daniel and his friends. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, his food, nor the wine which he drank. So he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel is making a decision right there as a 14-year-old that says, I want to stand with God. Now look, we don't even have to get into the worries about the diet or was it meat or food sacrificed to idols? Probably was. You know, I don't know. But ultimately what Daniel's saying is, look, uh, there's got to be something I say no to in this whole deal. Or pretty soon I'm just going to get swallowed in and become a Babylonian. So I'm deciding right here and now that I'm going to say no to this. That I'm going to stay different. I want to stay separated unto God. Being separated unto God definitely means at some point saying no. If we spend all our time living our lives saying, well, is it okay to do this? Sure. Is it okay to do that? Sure. Is it okay to do that? Sure. What have we done? We don't say no to anything. We let it all in. And what have we become? You know, most churches across the nation spend more time uh, talking about how American they are than how much they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus first, man. My allegiance is to him. And that's what Daniel's saying here. My allegiance is to God. My allegiance is to God. So, so nobody's with him at this point, right? Nobody's with him. He just wants to do his thing. But look at verse 9. It says, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor of the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Who did that? Was it something Daniel did? He didn't have some fancy words or some special gift. He brought the chief of the eunuchs a monster every day and just wrote on it, Hey, can I do whatever I want? And eventually he softened and said, Okay, sure. No, who gave him favor? 
God gave him favor. Who's in charge? Who's sovereign? Who's, who is calling the shots in the story? God is, right? So God gives him favor. He goes to the chief of the eunuchs. He says, can I do this? What's the chief of the eunuchs say? No. Because if you turn out this experiment don't work and you are dumber than everybody else and you get uglier than everybody else, the king is going to cut my head off. And I'm not willing to put my head on a block. So we go down the next verse. We see what happens. Look, in the next verse, he says, uh, the chief of the eunuchs said, I fear my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men your age? Then you would endanger my head. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over to Daniel. No, he went down. He went up to the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said, no. So he went to the next guy down. And he said, can I work a deal with you? We'll do ten days. Just ten days where we don't eat what the king eats. We'll eat. We're just going to have vegetables and water. So we'll, we'll just have vegetables and water. You do that deal with us. At the end of ten days, if we look all shriveled up, I'll eat whatever you want. I'll eat whatever you want. So Daniel, we see in this, in the whole midst of all these things, Daniel depending on the Lord. Right? Okay, God, I want to stay separated. I want to stay focused on you. So, so, you know, help me. Give me favor. So he says, okay, we'll test you 10 days. So he tested him 10 days. Look at verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. You know that's a miracle. Oh, what do you mean, Jackie? When's the last time you've seen a vegan who was getting fatter? When's the last time you've seen somebody all they ate was broccoli? Look, you don't look like this eating broccoli. This is red meat. Yeah. Bacon. There's a fair amount of bacon in there too. <laughs> so what happened? God gives him favor. God rewards his dedication. And so we see them. Their faces shine. They're, they're still keeping up in school. All that stuff's working. So they make the deal. So the chief of the eunuchs lets him do it. And they only give him water and vegetables. And so what happens? They grew healthier. And what else? Holier. How they get holier? They're separated unto God. They're just being separated unto God. They just want to be. It's not an action that they do. It's an attitude. You guys get what I mean? It's not because I, I bow down five times a day and pray that makes me holier. What makes me holier is the attitude that says, pray at all times and in all ways. Rejoice in the Lord everywhere. Pray without ceasing. It's the attitude that makes holiness. Not some show that we can put on. And so that's what's going on with Daniel. They're, they're becoming more holy. So what happens? It says God gave ability and success to Daniel and his friends. Look at verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them. Who did? Oh, interesting. God's still doing things. God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. Guess who their test was before? The king. Oral test before King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you guys haven't spent a lot of time meeting King Nebuchadnezzar, but in a couple of chapters, he's going to want to lop off a bunch of dudes' heads and throw them in the fire. 
So, what do you think he does if you get an answer wrong? You don't think that make you nervous? Standing before the king who, who just as soon cut your head off, you, you don't cost me nothing, dude. You either make it, if you fail out, you flunk out of the program, we just got a pile of bones out back we put you on. So they stand before the king, take the oral test, and they nail it. Why? Because God gave them knowledge. God gave them wisdom. How did God give them knowledge and wisdom? When they set themselves apart for God, God blessed their efforts. God blessed their efforts. And they achieved, they attained knowledge, they attained wisdom. It wasn't a pill. They didn't magically get smart. But as they applied themselves, God granted, God gifted and they were able to retain, they were able to hold on to it all. So it says, the king interviewed them, and among them all, none were found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined, he found them ten times better than everybody else. What was the king? The king says, these guys are ten times better. What made them ten times better? Let me, let me just say this. That should be the experience in the world today when it talks about Christians. Ten times better. Ten times better worker. Ten times smarter. Ten times more gifted in the arts. There's no area or avenue under the stars, under mankind, wherein a Christian cannot excel. And then use that ability to excel to bring people to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But part of our problem is we have disengaged from our, our battle. We disengage and we sit back and we wait. And while we've done that, we've watched our world take radical turns and changes. Which is why the Spirit of God is calling us now to engage. To stop. Break's over. I don't know why we took a break in the first place. Jesus said, do business till I come. And what is it that that God was doing at this time. The nation is upside down, it's sideways, and he took four 14-year-olds and changed it all. Four 14-year-olds. Who said, I I just want to do what God wants me to do. Four of them. Ten times better than anybody else. Radical transformations take place, and we're going to continue to see these incredible journeys take place. And so what else did God give? God gave Daniel long life and ministry. It says he continues all the way through the first year of King Cyrus. He actually goes all the way to the third year of King Cyrus. So that's um, a couple of different kingdoms and several different kings. And Daniel is still the man in regard to all of that. Man, I just want you guys to... <coughs> I'll, I'll just keep going if I don't stop at some point, so I'll stop. But the... I just want you to see, look, every time God needs a man or a person or a group to bring about revival in the remnant and to see radical change take place, God has it. You look through the Bible. When it was time for Moses, there's Moses. When it was time for Esther, there's Esther for such a time as this. When God needs a person, when God needs a group, We find ourselves in a place like that right now. Our nation needs a radical change. But a radical change is not gonna, I don't, it's not gonna be on the, on, about the candidate. It's gonna be about the church. About the church. 
doing what Daniel did and going before Almighty God and saying, God, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us that we disengaged. And set herself apart to say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord. And watch God do what he's going to do through Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Because God's going to do radical things here. And God wants to do radical things here. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word, God. And there's a lot of stuff here and a a lot of understanding. Lord, I just pray, God, that all my (coughs) gibberish would fall away, Lord. And the stuff that's from you, God, I pray that that just sticks. That people are challenged. And that people want to... They want to know, they want to know, God, that there is truth and, and God, that there is an absolute foundation, rock solid on the Word of God that we can hold to, that we can say, yeah, I'm following the truth. I know it's the truth because these things I know. I can, I can know for surety that this comes from you. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would be challenged like Daniel and his friends. Daniel, who was the first one who said, look, I'm going to separate myself. And then his three buddies said, we're with you. Just starts with one person. Just starts with one person saying, here I am, God, use me. Here I am. Let me, I need to separate myself from all this stuff I've let into my life. Not necessarily because it's all so evil, just because it's all so overwhelming. And I just step away from all that overwhelming sense around me. And I just need to be separated unto you, God. To give myself to you. So that I can be a good disciple of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you would begin a work of healing in our nation. Begin an attitude of repentance in our nation. Begin an attitude of restoration through the remnant in our nation. God, that we turn our eyes back to you. And no matter what happens, that we would stay engaged until we see your face. Because time is passing and people are being lost. God, I pray that you would move in our behalf, Lord God, as we seek to honor you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to invite you this uh, this morning. If there's things you have on your mind you need prayer for, we'll have prayer counselors around to pray with you. And um, just pray that uh, God's Spirit would move in this place. <clears throat>